Thank you for tuning in to the On The Gold Podcast, Season 1. Today's subject, 5 and 5, where we answer 5 questions in 5 minutes. Welcome everybody to the On The Gold Podcast. I'm Kevin Hoagland, your host, along with Mr. Kevin Bell. How are you doing, Kev? I'm doing fantastic. Today is 5 and 5, where we take 5 questions and we're supposed to answer them in 5 minutes. Have we made it yet? We haven't made it yet, have we? No, no, of course not. No, we haven't made it. Okay, let's jump right into this one and try to get the the five and five. I've got the trusty timer, and I'm going to start the timer right. Hold on. I've lost my timer. We're going to start the timer. While you're getting your timer, Kev, I I just want to say that these, uh, these are questions that have been fielded from our GPAA members, and... So what we've done is kind of compile, uh, you know, all the the emails together, and we formulated them into five questions. So what's this we stuff? I have no idea what you're going to hit me with tonight. That's 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 what always scares me. Well, that's a collective we. It... Okay, okay. Well, wait till we do your five questions. Your five and five. So yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I have no idea what you've got in store for me. What's the topic tonight? Topics tonight are metal detectors. No. So no, 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 no. Really? Yeah. Five and five on metal detecting. Not going to happen. All right. Well, we'll, well do the best you know, we this, can. I, I got to tell you, these are some basic questions, Kev. And you know, I'll let you go as deep as you as you want on these. But remember, five and five. Yeah, but you don't understand. I don't do Twitter because I can't say good morning in 140 characters. Right. The timer has started uh you know this 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 question was probably the most asked in some way or another how deep does a detector go you're seriously asking that question yes okay well you are right that is the number one asked question i have heard that question for 40 some odd years and as a dealer back when i had a shop first question how deep does it go I have always told people one very simple answer. There is no answer. There is no answer on how deep a detector will go. And I will tell you, if you are shopping for a detector, if you walk into a shop or you pick up the phone and you call a shop or whatever, and you ask them, how deep does this detector go? If they give you an answer, some unequivocal answer that says this detector will go 10 inches deep, Grab your wallet and run like hell because there is no one on the face of this earth that can tell you how deep a detector goes. There's a lot of variables. First off, we have to look at just the simple fact of frequency. Years ago, we were trying to figure out an easy way to describe how frequency affects the actual depth of a detector. And Bruce Candy, the inventor of MindLab, just simply said, the higher the frequency, the closer to the surface the machine works to find small targets, and the lower the frequency, the deeper in the ground the machine will go to find larger, deeper targets. That's the spot-on answer. It's so very, very true. The downfall is, is that there's so many different variables. Because what I just told you was if you have a Goldbug 2 at 71 kilohertz, you're not going to get any depth out of the machine. And I've also told you if you had the, the lowest kilohertz machine, the MindLab Eureka Gold, at 6.4 kilohertz, you're not going to be able to find any small targets close to the surface. That's pretty much what I've said. Now, 
I don't want to get too deep into this one because we are actually building a complete detector training series that will cover all of this in a lot of detail. So you'll understand that a little bit better. So the higher the frequency, the closer to the surface the machine works to find small targets. The lower the frequency, the deeper it goes into the ground to find larger, more conductive targets. And no one can tell you how deep that is. Too many variables. Of course, okay. frequency is one. Ground mineralization is another one. The interference that you're dealing with. Again, stay tuned for the complete detector training series, and we'll cover that in an incredible amount of detail. Good enough for you? Sure. Okay, okay. so how long did that one take? Um, let's see. How, how oh, did that my go? God. That took four minutes. All right, next. <laughs> wow. Okay, uh, this is also a pretty uh, uh, large-ass question. Are the latest kind of the turn-on-and-go detectors the way to go for a new or part-time detectorist? That's a great question. And I'm going to say yes and no. For people that have very limited time, a turn-on-and-go machine, well, first off, there's really no such thing. Well, oh, I can't say that anymore. Really, as far as I'm concerned, there's really no such thing as a turn-on-and-go detector because there are always things that you can do that will tweak the machine to make it a little bit better. With most of the turn-on-and-go detectors... Wow, we blew it. Five dollars. Five dollars, man. Five and five cost me five. That's right. So the idea of having something that is completely turn-on-and-go and, and you don't have to make any adjustments to it, you don't have to do anything, has always concerned me because what happens is people never actually use the potential of the machine. So if you're talking about setting up a machine in factory preset and going out and hunting and just you know doing a quick balance, ground balance, or setting your threshold, you are not ever going to even touch the, the smallest part of what a detector is really capable of doing. Are there turn-on-and-go metal detectors? Absolutely. But make sure that if you're looking at one of these machines, that you are looking at a machine that you will have the ability to grow into and not grow out of. Oh, that's a good, that, that's a good point. Good yeah, point. I, I've watched too many people that have bought a detector. Unfortunately, you know, they, they, they decide that they really love detecting. And the next thing you know, they've grown out of that particular machine that they're using. Or they buy a machine that might be a little bit too complicated for them right off the bat and then fortunately it ends up back in the closet so right well you know. that's where frustration comes in oh absolutely so picking the right detector at the very beginning is really what you need to do there's another side of this as well and that's people that will go out and they will not buy a detector that's really designed to do what they want it to do or they buy a very inexpensive detector that just doesn't have the capability of doing what they want it to do or what their expectation is. Most people, when they buy their first detector, they don't know what it, they want it to do other than if it's gold, they want it to go find gold. That's their expectation. Now they have to figure out how to make it do that. Right. Yeah. Right. So, well, you know, and if it doesn't meet the expectation, if it doesn't meet the expectation, it ends up in the closet with the Tony Little Gazelle and the Suzanne Summer Thigh Master. Nice. <laughs> nice. 
Well, you know, that leads me into the next question is, is there really a gold-only detector? Absolutely. There's crickets on your side. What's what? 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 Well, I'm just, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I thought that was going to go into a long, uh, a long, uh, a long answer. Well, so, so there is an answer to that one. The answer is no, there is no such thing as a gold only detector. If there was, I would tell you that there absolutely was not. And you would never, never see me again. What there is, are there machines that are sensitive enough to be able to get the return signal from gold? Uh, you know, gold is a, a very soft, malleable metal. It absorbs an incredible amount of signal. And then it doesn't release nearly as much signal coming out as it did, as it did taking in. I mean, we're talking about taking a, a radio frequency or an RF energy, sending it into the ground, hitting a target, creating enough of an eddy current that once, you know, once it's, uh, once it's saturated, and it releases that signal, then that signal comes back up. The idea of having a gold-only detector would mean that you would have to be able to discriminate all sorts of other different minerals, all of the other minerals that are associated with gold. And unfortunately, you know, we have two types of metals on this on this planet. We have ferrous and we have non-ferrous. Mm-hmm. If I try to take out all the ferrous metals, then I start doing things that just really will will change the signaling. Case in point, I have a beautiful gold nugget that I generally carry with me to gold shows to show it to people and, and let them see what a nail and a pull tab sounds like. This is a gold nugget that is right just a hair under an ounce of gold shot through solid magnetite. If, wow. I take, if I take a rare earth magnet and I have this nugget in my hand and I run that magnet over it about two to three inches, it will jump out of my hand and attach itself to the magnet. Hmm. It'll just flat jump out of my hand, attach itself to the magnet. Now, if I'm using a machine that has iron discrimination, well, first off, I'm going to like block, I'm going to block out a lot of those targets. But if I'm using a machine that has some iron discrimination like a gold machine, that's the only type of discrimination they have, by the way, is iron. And that's man-made iron. That's not ground mineralization. That's done within ground balance and sensitivity and everything else. Mm-hmm. But this this particular piece of gold, if I put it against, I'm going to say, 99, 95% of the, the uh, detectors that I've tested on from all brands, it's a nail. Wow. If I do this with some of the very, very top of the line coin relic and treasure hunting machines, which has a lot of expanded discrimination, then that target comes up as a pull tab. Those types of machines will work to eliminate as much of the non-ferrous, I'm sorry, ferrous metal. But by doing that, and because this, this gold is shot through this ferrous material the way it is, it actually turns into a pull tab, and in some machines, it's actually been a penny. It's about wow. a $2,000 gold nugget. Wow. Yeah. So you have to, you know, there's the, there's the oldest saying, dig it all, dig everything. I actually almost didn't dig that target because I, at one day, one day I was out there, I was getting tired of digging trash, and I got a little cocky, and I thought, you know, yeah, that sounded like iron. And I took about four more steps and I went, wow, that, I, I can't do that. That's not who I am. 
I went back and I dug it, and it's this beautiful black nugget. Wow. See, that's that's a cool story, and, and I'm sure many people uh, swung over that and just left it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, probably so. Here's here's actually an interesting question. Are you, are you done with the the gold the gold only detector? I think so. Am I done okay. with it? Do you think I did I answer that to no, you? No, you no, you did really well. I just okay. didn't want to cut. If you. I if I if I answered it to your satisfaction, that's all that matters. Good, good. Okay. Okay. Here, <laughs> here's a good question, and and I've and I've heard this. Uh, this is uh, one that I've heard personally. Are older detectors still usable? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have a Garrett Groundhog BFO beat freak oscillating detector that I will still go out just to prove to people that that still works. And I have found gold with that machine in the last five years. Wow. So when you say something like old technology or older detectors, um, let's look at some of the machines that are on the marketplace right now that are phenomenally great machines that have been around for 10 years or more. Mm -hmm. Fisher Goldbug 2. Yep. The Fisher Goldbug 2 has been around over two decades. And at 71 kilohertz, that is one of the greatest high-frequency detectors ever made. It's all manually tuned. I have complete and total control. Well, you got to say, got to say the GMT. I mean, that's another. One oh, absolutely, the GMT. the The Goldmaster has the GMT has absolutely changed its appearance over the years, but it's still basically that same fifty kilohertz absolute workhorse that it used to be. You know, the difference between the the GMT and the Goldbug too. The GMT now has functions like ground grab to where it has a rebalance that works very very quickly, and you've got to retune on the Goldbug too. But it's, it doesn't work as fast as the GMT, whereas when the GMT first came out, and, and I'm talking about black box GMTs, we're not going to go all the way back to the Goldmaster, the old blue box. And I'm sorry, when we're talking about GMTs, we're ta- or the GM series, we're talking about the White's Goldmaster. My first introduction to that machine of really going out and hunting with it was the fully manual detector that had a coarse ground balance knob, it had a medium ground balance knob and it had a fine ground balance knob. That detector is still in my safe and I still use that machine. And I have a newer GMT as well. So can I use an old detector? You bet. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people, they, they, they have these great old detectors in their closet and they're struggling with, well, do I need to upgrade to newer technology? That is a question to struggle with. I mean, if you're, if you're working in an area I generally, the only way I buy another detector is with the gold that I have found to where I can upgrade. That's the way I've, that's pretty much the way I've already always done it. So if I'm working in an area and, and forget about me working for mind lab and doing all the other things I've done, just Kevin Hoagland detectorist out there when I'm not in the water dredging or out doing this or, or, or whatever, if I'm out detecting, and I'm, I'm doing it for myself and I'm working on a patch, I will upgrade. You bet I'll upgrade. And I've managed to upgrade all the way up to scale at this point in time. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But, yeah, I, that, that really does become a very interesting question. Do, can you use 
the old technology or do you need to go into the new one? Let the ground that you're working and let your targets tell you. But the most important thing is if you have an older machine, do you know how to use it properly? I put up a poll not too long ago asking how many people were using, and, and I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but it was, you know, how many people are using a Goldbug 2 as their primary metal detector? I had 25% of the people say absolutely yes, and I had 75% of the people say no. But it did exactly what I thought it was going to do because I was overwhelmed with private messages saying I would use the machine more if I actually knew how to make it work. So within the video series that I'm working on, there will be a complete tutorial from putting the batteries in all the way to not, not a factory. This is not going to be the factory presets. This is not going to be, you know, here's read the book. Here's how you do it. This is going to be how to get out of the box and use a Goldbug 2 the way that it was absolutely designed to be used and have and, and at least use 80 or 90% of the potential. Because I'll tell you what, if you're using, if you're setting your machine in all the factory presets and you've got a Goldbug 2 and that's all you're doing is using the factory presets, you're using 30 to 40% of that, of that machine's real potential. There's so much wow. more. And it's not like going in and, and, and twisting this and tweaking that and making changes on the board. It's simply in detector management. It's learning how to set the machine to the ground that you're working and go from there. Right. And I think that probably extends to many of the machines is you can, there's a lot more capability in there that, than a lot of people use. There is. And, and I use the Goldbug 2 as an example, but I'll tell you what, you take the old Goldmaster VSAT. There's so there's still a lot of them out there, and there are people that just simply don't use them because they really never figured out how to use it. And and I'm talking more like a, about the the GMT and the and the Goldbug too, because both of those are high frequency machines. They're notorious for being unstable in high ground mineralization, and there's a reason for that. It's because the machines aren't being set up right. But you go back into like the Garrett Goldstinger, uh, the original Fisher Goldbug. And even going back into some of the old mine labs, like the, the, the FT and the GT series back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, and into Sora Lobos, all of, these, all of these different machines that are out there, so many of them never got the opportunity to really shine. Right. Well, and, it, you know, and that's a, uh, you know, that's kind of maybe some hope for everybody out there that, uh, you know, you've got that old detector and you're kind of on the fence. Tweak it up a little bit and see if, if it still continues to do the job. Yeah. I mean, seriously, if you've got a Goldbug 2 or a White Gold, if you've got any of the old machines, if you're setting it to the factory preset or you've been asking different people, you know, how to do this, how to do that, how to set it to this place, how to set it to that place, you're not even touching the capabilities of the detector because, you know, you cannot be told where, where to set a machine because unless that machine was field tested – right there where you're going to be detecting and it was, and you're out there, you're out there detecting exactly in the same atmospheric condition, the same weather, the same everything. Your settings are going to be different. Your ground balance is going to be different. Your sensitivity is going to be different. Again, in the six or seven part metal detecting training series, 
we'll cover that in an, an incredible amount of detail. So yeah, right. let's, we're in the five and five. We've already blown it. We're on what, question number four? Well, actually, we're on question number five. All right. So what do we got? Okay. So this is uh, an interesting question. When should I use a VLF and when should I use a pulse induction detector? <sighs> That's a tough question to answer, man. There are, that really, there's, that there's really. There's probably no hard and fast rule there. No, there isn't a hard and fast rule. I have the luxury of having both. And I understand not everybody can own a pulse induction machine and not everybody owns VLF detectors and so on like that. But I, when I go to a new area, I generally take two or three different machines with me because I, I need to see what the ground's going to be like. If I get into an area where I'm hunting bedrock and I can see the bedrock outcroppings and I go in and I dig down a little bit, and I don't have a lot of bedrock, or I'm sorry, a lot of uh, overburden on top of the bedrock, I am grabbing the highest frequency VLF detector that I've got. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get little uh, itty bitty pieces of gold. Now, we have new machines that have come into the marketplace. We have machines like the MindLab Gold Monster 1000 that actually uses a lower frequency, but it's the way that they're, that they're balancing the frequency and doing a lot of other things with it that machine works in, in a that that machine with a single frequency actually works in a really really broad band hmm. so it does work in a broad band if i'm going to go out and i'm going to hunt bedrock or i see bedrock i'm going to grab a high frequency machine or i'm going to grab something in the in, in that line if i start finding gold in those areas and let's just say I, I i work the bedrock i get a few pieces of gold i'm looking at the gold i have doc uh, greg luzenock doc said it the very very best when you find a piece of gold, have a conversation with that nugget. Look at it. Talk to it. Verbalize. I believe in absolutely verbalizing with a piece of gold that you found because getting it outside of your head. How many times, Kevin, have you thought about something, but the moment you verbalized it to somebody else, verbalize that moment of clarity. Yeah, exactly. Talk to that little piece of gold. Go, where'd you come from, buddy? Where, you know, where, where'd you come from? How did you get here? And I will take that and then that will help me decide on the next machine that I'm going to use. If I'm if I'm hunting the side bench or if I'm hunting the you know the side slope coming in, I may stick with a VLF. If I get to the bench, well, the bench was where the water was a million years ago or five million whatever it was, you know, a very, very long time. Not a high water mark, the bench. I'm probably going to grab if the only thing I have VLF with a, a, a lower frequency, maybe even try to use bigger coils, different things like that, or I'm going to go to my pulse induction. I'm going to go to the, my PI. If you take me out to Rye Patch, I've hunted that thing for years and years and years. I just, I'll take a VLF, but I will tell you, I'm going to start my day with a pulse induction. I will probably end my day with a pulse induction. Hmm. And I, I don't really know if I answered that question to everybody's satisfaction. It, the ground, uh, where, where you're working is di will dictate the type of machine that you can work. And, and you know, if you have a, a pulse induction machine where you have an incredible amount of control, the amount of control will allow you to do certain things. But, you know, if I'm hunting in really benign soil, or, or uh, I shouldn't call it benign soil, the, there's two types of soil. You've got soil, and that soil could be anywhere from have very, very low mineralization to very high mineralization. But if that right. mineralization is basically equaled out, 
then it really is not that big of a deal to be able to work in ground balance and work your sensitivity. Now, if it's really varied, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to have to deal with it and do some different things. Um, the hotter the ground, the worse the ground, the more I'm going to, the more apt I am to grab the pulse. Right. Yeah. It makes total sense. Well, okay, Kev, you know, you've made it through your five questions. Uh, five and 15. Anything you want to close with? Kevin, thank you. I absolutely have something I want to close with. It's going to take some time to put together this, what started out as a three-part, turned into four-part, now as a six-part. And quite frankly, I'm sure by the time it's really said and done, it may be a seven to ten-part, very in-depth training on how to, how to get the very best out of your detector. And it's not just about people that are out there using the machines. We have a complete episode on this on if you've never owned a detector before, what are you looking to do? And how to make that right decision. You know, is there a crossover machine that will work for you? Are you going to spend, be spending most of your time nugget hunting or coin and relic hunting? Where do you, where do you draw that line? So we're going to cover all of that. We're going to get really in depth about how detectors work. And I'll have some really great guests that we can talk about these different things along with just, you know, dragging out whatever you can out of me. So, you know, you'll get to hear a lot of that as we go. Great. So thank you for asking if there was something that I wanted to say. (laughs) But it's me, man. I always have something to say. Thank you, everybody, for joining this five and five that never comes in at five. Kevin, what's next? What are we doing next? Well, I was going to say we're probably, we've got uh, black sand and we've also got sluicing. I want to do black sand next. I want to do black sand next. And I say that mainly because I found two five-gallon buckets of pure iron black sand in my garage over the weekend. Nice. Yeah, so it's time to really start talking about black sand. Where do you draw the line? I like it. Yeah, you know what? Why don't we call that one crush it, roast it, work it, or feed it to the roses? There you go. I like it. That's it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you learned something from it. And please feel free to send questions. And if you have any questions on anything that was talked about here today, feel free to send me an email, khoagland, H-O-A-G-L-A-N-D, khoagland at goldprospectors.org.org. And Kevin, do you want to toss out your uh, email address? Sure, it's kbell, K-B-E-L-L, at totalexchange.com. There you go. All right, folks, have fun. Be good to yourself. We'll see you out prospecting.